RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Resisting the The Good Samaritan was in lawful possession of the firearm. He had a carry and conceal weapons permit. Uh, everything he did was appropriate, and uh, we actually consider him to be a hero. Nothing like the sound of gunshots to get the show started. Hey, good evening. This is Beyond the Badge. I am your host, of course, Vincent Hill. Of course, you're listening right here on RadioInfluence.com. And what you just heard was a snidbit of a shooting that occurred down in Florida on Interstate I-75. I talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago where a deputy uh, attempted to pull someone over. He fled. Uh, once the deputy uh, caught up with him, the individual got him out of the car, uh, threw the deputy to the ground and started beating him, punching him, slamming his head to the ground. There was a good Samaritan that actually stopped his car, got out of his vehicle, and you heard the shots, three shots to the suspect and killed him. Uh, that happened way back in November but the cell phone video was just released uh, because the case, of course, was pending at the time. The state's attorney, you heard from her, they did not press charges against this individual, Ashad Russell, for shooting uh, the individual, Edward Strether, who was beating the officer. They said it was justified. His actions were justified in what he did. And I want to talk about that really quick here on Beyond the Badge. Now, of course, this happened in Florida, and we know the controversy in Florida surrounding the standard ground law, right? We heard about it in the uh, Trayvon Martin case. It caused huge controversy in that case, but it's actually what kept this individual, Ashad Russell, from facing charges. Florida has a stand your ground state uh, law, but they also have a protection of other individuals law or what you would call a justifiable use of force. There's actually a Florida statute as it is in most states that protects citizens from prosecution if they're protecting the life of themselves and, of course, of others. And Florida's law reads just like this. A person is justified in using or threatening to use deadly force if he or she reasonably believes that using or threatening to use such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily injury to himself or herself or another or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony. So let's look at the factors here, right? The officer had given chase. He chased Mr. Struthers. Mr. Struthers, for whatever reason, decided to run from the police. Um, he gets out. He immediately assaults the officer. He tackles him. This is what witnesses say. He tackled the officer. You can see in the video, which I'll post to my Twitter, Vincent Hill TV on Twitter. You can see in the video, he's on top of the officer in a full mounted position. And you can see that he's punching the officer. So I think any jury, any reasonable person would say there was an imminent threat of either death to that officer or serious bodily injury, right? This guy who's pretty big standing on top of this officer, sitting on top of this officer, punching him, slamming his head into the ground, going for the officer's gun. How long do you think the officer would have survived this had Mr. Russell not come by and did what he did. 
Now, there's probably some that will say, well, aren't officers trained in hand-to-hand combat and ground fighting and all of this other stuff? Yeah, yeah, we, we take that training, but on a good day, there's somebody out there that is stronger than you, faster than you, has better fighting skills than you. So all of that doesn't really matter in this situation. What matters is that Mr. Russell happened to be in the right place at the right time, and he took the appropriate action to save this deputy's life. And to go one step further, which further justifies Mr. Russell, the deputy was begging for his life. He asked Mr. Russell to shoot him. I think the deputy knew that he was about to fade out. He was about to go black, which means he probably would have sustained serious bodily injury, more than likely death. When you're pleading for your life, that means you have no other option besides pleading for your life. And again, luckily, Mr. Russell reacted the way he did. He saved this deputy's life. The state's attorney, you heard, is calling him a hero. I call him a hero. I call him a citizen who did the right thing. And especially in what's going on with police and community right now, Mr. Russell, if you haven't guessed by his name, is black. The officer was white. But here's the interesting thing, right? Mr. Russell did not see a white racist cop. He saw an individual who needed help. He did what he was supposed to do. He helped this officer out. Now the officer is alive and well. Now switching gears and going out to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where a sheriff's deputy was shot and killed this past weekend. And if you remember about eight months ago when there was three Baton Rouge police officers killed because of the shooting death of Alton Sterling, who we know was a convicted felon, a convicted child rapist, a convicted drug dealer who had a gun, who fought with police, but someone took it upon themselves to shoot three uh, sheriff's deputies in Baton Rouge about eight months ago. This happened uh, this past weekend. Officer uh, Sean Anderson and another deputy were investigating a rape suspect. A fight ensued. At some point, the rape suspect retrieved the gun, shot the deputy. He was rushed to the hospital where he later died. It's tragic, and it goes to show that there's nothing routine in police work. Here's a guy who's wanted for rape. You really wouldn't put two and two together to think, oh, he may be armed with a gun. He may want to kill police, but this is exactly what he did because, as I've always said, when people don't want to go to jail, they will do some strange, silly, dumb stuff to make sure that they don't go to jail. And that's unfortunately what happened here in Baton Rouge over the weekend. And you're hearing this story right here on Beyond the Batch because, of course, you didn't hear it on mainstream media because the shoe was not on the other foot. The individual, the rape suspect, was not killed by this white officer who is now dead This individual was shot, but he's alive in the hospital. He will face charges. But I assure you, had the shoe been on the other foot and these officers responded the way they were supposed to with deadly force when they were presented with deadly force and this individual died, I assure you we would have another case of Alton Sterling going on in the city of Baltimore where everyone's in an uproar because he's a good boy who wears his Easter suit every Sunday to church. Well, Let me tell you what he did on a Sunday. He shot a police officer. So he's not a good boy. Obviously, if he was being investigated for rape, he's not a good boy. But I assure you, had the roles been reversed, 
this is what we would have heard out of the city of Baton Rouge. Going over to Baltimore now, and I talked about this uh, a little while ago, but I want to expand on it a little more. The shooting death of Curtis uh, Jamal Deal. He was shot and killed after he fled from police. Uh, he had a gun in his hand. It was caught on body cam video. The foot chase, the shooting, everything that you see in the video was justified. And now the family is saying that the officer who shot Curtis Deal, quote unquote, had it out for him. But the circumstances of that are, and it's just like I, I said in Freddie Gray when he ran from police and police gave chase and Freddie Gray was known to be a drug dealer in the community. It is the same thing with Curtis Jamal Deal. So I wouldn't say that this this officer had it out for Mr. Deal. I would say he knew of Mr. Deal's activities. And Mr. Deal had just gotten released on gun and drug charges the previous Monday before he was shot. So usually a leopard does not change its spots, right? We've all done it in law enforcement where we've dealt with individuals on multiple occasions, multiple times. And it's not that we have it out for that individual. It's we know that individual's activities and it's our job as law enforcement to enforce the law. So if I know that you had just committed a drug deal because I witnessed the drug deal as this officer did, and I know your history and I know you're usually armed with a gun, it is my duty to protect and serve the community and not let you run down the street armed with a gun in your hand. So for the family to say that this officer had it out for Mr. Deal goes back to what I always say. There is no accountability inside the black community. Everyone wants to point the finger except for where it needs to be pointed. You're out selling drugs. You're running from police with a gun. You turn towards police with the gun. What do you think police are going to respond with when they see deadly force with deadly force. This ain't a kumbaya moment. This ain't a surge. Please drop the gun moment. This is a you're trying to kill me. I need to kill you to protect my life in the life of other moment. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with whether they had it out for Mr. Deal. All right, Curtis Steele. Curtis Steele, you're coming back out on Frederick Avenue. So I wanted to play that sound for you for two reasons. A, you could hear the officer say he's got a gun. And then B, you could hear the officer say Curtis Steele. Curtis Steele. Which goes back to what I said. The officer knew of Curtis Steele. They knew of his actions. They knew of his activity. They knew of his intent. So... Not to say that they had it out for this individual, but rather to say that they have dealt with this individual in the past. He had just been arrested the week before for the same offense of selling drugs. And I want you to go watch that video, not because I want you to watch and see someone die, because of course they don't show that on the video, which I will post to my Twitter, Vincent Hill TV. But it's crucial. The video I'm going to post actually slows down the actual body cam footage. And you can see Mr. Deal clearly, not only with the gun, but raise it towards the officer as if he was going to shoot. So again, I say officers respond to deadly force 
with deadly force. It's not a kumbaya moment. It's not a community policing moment. It's a life or death split second decision that that officer was forced to make to protect his life and again protect the lives of others. It's broad daylight and this individual is running down the street with a loaded weapon. He gave the officer no choice the second he pulled that that gun up on target of the officer. The officer had to respond with deadly force. All right, going out to uh, Crockett, Tennessee, just outside of Memphis. I don't know if you heard about this yet, but there was a guy that was live streaming on Facebook. Uh, You remember a few months ago where the uh, young lady in Minnesota live streamed her boyfriend being shot by police. But this uh, 36-year-old Rodney Hess was live streaming on Facebook uh, when he was shot and killed by police this past Thursday. In the first part of his live stream, he's actually uh, driving his truck At some point, he decides to park in the middle of the interstate, blocking oncoming traffic. Uh, That goes on for several minutes. You can hear him talking to himself. Uh, So clearly, there was something going on uh, with them uh, upstairs. Uh, Several minutes later, a deputy arrives, uh, you know, because what happens? People call police. So deputy arrives to try to investigate. The deputy asks for backup. um, But in about a minute into the second part of that live stream, you could hear uh, Mr. Hess saying he wants the higher powers, I guess the supervisors, higher command to come out. Uh, And a few seconds later, you hear a gunshot. Uh, The Tennessee Bureau of Investigations is investigating, and uh, it appears that Mr. Hess tried to ram the officer with his vehicle, at least that's the statement. To me, it's unclear in the video, but I want to play just a bit of that. I I I would like the higher command I would like the high commands to come out. I need the high commands to come out. Now, as you can hear, that escalated uh, pretty quickly, and I know it was difficult to hear the officer, but at one point he he asked uh, Mr. Hess to roll his window down, and there's a few things that are important here uh, that lead me to believe that it was not the officer's intent to just immediately fire upon the vehicle, uh, because you can see one officer in the video with his ass baton out uh, getting ready to strike the window to uh, try to uh, eject Mr. Hess from the vehicle. You can hear the vehicle start up, and then, of course, you hear the gunshot. Uh, he drove for several feet before crashing uh, in the vehicle, and he was life-flighted to Memphis and later died. Uh, his family, Mr. Hess's family, says that he was suffering for from mental illness and uh, needed help. Uh, they say he was asking police for help. Uh, but in listening to that, and in the heat of the moment, I can definitely understand how the officer may not have correlated uh, him needing help or him having mental issues. I mean, he pulled up on a vehicle that was parked uh, kind of erratic in the street. And the only thing Mr. Hess says was, I need the higher commands to come out. And, you know, having done countless traffic stops, I can tell you people ask for your boss to come to the scene. 
uh, every time they think they're being unjustly held or stopped or whatever. Uh, so I can understand the family's point of view and, you know, they would know if he does have mental issues, but that officer in that moment likely didn't know that. And we've covered this on this show where the signs of mental illness are not always prevalent. They're not always seen. And they're sometimes confused with either people who are narcotics under the influence of alcohol or people that don't want to go to jail. So, you know, it'll be interesting what the TBI comes out with this uh, as far as the investigation. Uh, honestly, to me, it looks like everything was was by the book. I'm sure there's going to be interviews. There's probably going to be some more footage that may come out of this if there was body cams, uh, dash cams or whatever. And of course, the people that were around the immediate uh, scene, the civilians, I'm sure, will give statements as well. So curious to see what comes out of this. But at first glance, it appears to be, uh, for all accounts, a justified shooting. Hess's fiance uh, told a news station that he suffered from bipolar and couldn't get his mind together. And she states, of course, he was not on a suicide mission. He was not trying to hurt anyone. He was trying to get help. And she says that she always told him if you're ever in a situation where you need help, ask for the person in charge for the higher command to help you. And that's what he kept saying. But again, from an officer standpoint, showing up on the scene, those are not keywords of mental illness. Those are just typical keywords of someone that doesn't want to deal with what they've done as a crime. And they try to get the command staff out there, the sergeant, the supervisor. So it, again, I understand the family's point of view on his mental illness. He likely was bipolar. I mean, if you watch the entire video of him live streaming, I mean, he's just driving around in the car. He's parking the car. He's just rambling on excessively. So he likely was bipolar. But in that short 30 to 40 seconds before the shooting, the officer had no way of knowing that. And speaking of live streaming, the officer in Minnesota, uh, Officer Geronimo Yanez, who shot and killed Philando Castile, uh, who, whose girlfriend live streamed the shooting on Facebook, has pled not guilty. Uh, that shooting occurred last July, July 2016. Uh, the officer's charged with manslaughter, and prosecutors claim that the officer acted unreasonable uh, when he shot Castile seven times while uh, sitting in the passenger seat of the car at a traffic stop. Now, there there are those that will say this is an open and shut case, right? Because the guy was sitting in the car and he was shot seven times. But as we all know, everything is not what it seems, especially when it comes to police work. And let's not forget uh, some very important key elements here. Uh, the girlfriend uh, changed her story during her live stream of why they were pulled over and what was going on. Uh, in her live stream, she mentioned the marijuana inside the car, and there was a gun recovered from the car. Now, there are those that say he had his, his carry permit, which he probably did, but I'm sure there were some furtive movements, suspicious movements, probably likely to hide the weed, the sticky icky that is still illegal there in Minnesota, and the officer, knowing there was a gun in the car, could reasonably articulate that he felt a threat on his life. Here's a guy that says, yes, I have a gun, but yet he's moving around, making movements in the car, which would lead someone to believe that he could be going for this gun. So, 
you know, it, it's not an open and shut case. And look no further than Baltimore. Look no further than uh, Ferguson. If you think we're dealing with open and shut cases, because a lot of these officers are being charged, uh, I won't say unjustifiably, I think they're being charged to appease a community. But when you're trying to prosecute someone who is acting in the line of duty, whose duty it is to protect and serve life, the preservation of life, including their own life, it's hard to come to a conviction. It's hard to articulate that the officer wasn't doing his job. And speaking of the marijuana, the, the attorneys for the officer attempted to get the case dropped, claiming that Castile put himself at risk by consuming marijuana. I assume they mean he was uh, reaching to eat the bag of marijuana, which has happened. People swallow drugs so they won't go to jail for them. It's happened to me. It's happened to a lot of officers on traffic stops and that he was disobeying police orders. Uh, the request was denied, of course. Uh, but again, I think all of that will come into play. The, the marijuana, the furtive movements, her story changing on her live stream, contradicting what was said, contradicting why they were stopped. And again, here we have an officer on a traffic stop who I believe was uh, stopping the, the vehicle because there had just been a robbery. And I believe there was some police dispatch to that effect. Uh, Mr. Castile kind of fit that description. Once they found out it wasn't him, the other things ensued. So you can't go back and say the officer was at fault for doing his job. He had a legal right to investigate a robbery that had just occurred, at which point he had a legal right to identify those individuals in the car. And the actions, the movements of uh, Mr. Castile ultimately led to his death. Now, we could argue race, we could argue excessive force, we could argue whatever we want to argue here, but compliance, compliance, compliance equals you going home at the end of the day. Non-compliance means that there's likely going to be a use of force used against you. And before I go, I got to switch gears out to New York City out in Harlem. I don't know if you got a chance to see this video. It's all over World Star and all those other stupid social media sites, but there's a uh, a kid, probably in his 20s, young black kid, who's harassing two NYC NYPD cops who are in a, a convenience store getting coffee. Because guess what? Police get breaks just like everyone else when they're on the job, right? So these two cops are in there getting coffee, and this kid's just going off, saying how they're wasting his tax money, and he went to an Ivy League school, and they're not worth crap. They're just in here wasting people's money. They don't do anything. Blah, 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 blah. And this went on for probably 15, 20 minutes. I mean, he's using the F-bomb and the, just calling them all kind of names, MFers, you name it. But what's funny and what's poetic about it is uh, after he stopped his rant, he actually got into it. There's a second video that somebody else captured, and it may have been the same person. Uh, but he got into it with one of the store uh, patrons. And guess what? Guess where he ran? Right to the same cops that he was actually just mocking. He hid behind them like a little bitch, like the little bitch that he was for mocking those cops. Now, I know there's some that I say that's his right to do it. But think about it. You're working 10, 12 hours a day. You may need a little coffee. You may need a little break 
just like if you work a nine to five, you get a break, just like this so-called Ivy League individual got gets a break at his job. So why shouldn't these cops get a break? But it's funny that even though they were on break, they did what they were supposed to do, protected and served him. And they didn't say, oh, you just talked about us, so we're not going to protect you. They were actually making sure he didn't get hurt. So that's poetic justice, poetic justice 101. I started tonight's show uh, talking about the shooting in Baton Rouge where uh, Officer Sean T. Anderson was shot and killed on this past Saturday uh, investigating a rape suspect. And it would only be fitting that I talked about him at tonight's 10-7. To give you a little more, uh, Sergeant Anderson, Sean T. Anderson, not only served with the Baton Rouge Police Department for 18 years, he was also a U.S. Army veteran. He received countless life-saving awards during his time on the job there in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he was actually investigating the rape of a 15-year-old uh, when he was shot and killed. So here's a guy that loved his job, loved people, loved serving not only his community but his country. And he was killed senselessly because of some idiot that wanted to rape a 15-year-old and didn't want to go to jail to face his crimes like a man. So Godspeed to you, Sean T. Anderson. My prayers to your family. Thank you for your service. Thank you for listening tonight. I will see you next week, same time, right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a fabulous sports big quick fix on Radio Influence. Well, how can it be? First, I thought, okay, Kyrie Irving's got this thing and he thinks the earth is flat. It's okay. Well, now Shaq believes that the earth is flat. Now, I don't want to say anything, but this guy's got a PhD from Barry University. I know it used to be a girls' college. But it's not a real girls' college anymore, as they used to call it. It's a pretty, he has a PhD from education, and he believes that the world is flat. And he said, Well, I drive from Florida to California, and I don't see me going up and down a lot. And I don't understand why the buildings don't fall over. And I'm just, you know, I think to myself, what is it that makes it? He said, well, anything you see, they can manipulate it and you can see it on your phone. I don't know about you, but I remember when I didn't have a phone. And I sort of have a feeling you remember when you didn't have a phone either. One time they brought, he was just the, when he was first in, uh, in Orlando, his first year. And they brought him up. It was the first time they were coming to see Seattle. And I was there and they let me go down and talk with him. And I sat next to him. If you can just imagine, my head was like at his waist. And I put my foot next to his. And he had a foot that was like 23, 24. And I've got like a seven and a half foot. I mean, it was like three times the size of me. It was just amazing because, you know, you. I mean, guys are big, but this guy was enormous. But Shaq is telling everybody but he believes that the world is flat. And I'm thinking, well, if you go to California and then you go to China, 
do you think that that does it end there or can you go on to Asia and can you go to Europe and then you can go back to the U.S. or do you think it ends there and you have to turn around and go back to California? I get very confused about this. I'm not really confused. They're the ones that are idiots. The Fabulous Sports Big can be found on iTunes, Stitcher and RadioInfluence.com.